Thank you uh, very much, Pastor. I'm uh, glad to finally be able to, to do this for you. Well, I guess we'll jump right into it. Uh, of course, like you said, I'm going to be talking about uh, creation and evolution. As you can see up there, uh, I have the, the history and rotten fruit of evolutionism. When you read this in the secular press, they like to refer to you know, uh, evolution versus creationism. I like to put the ism on evolution because, as you're going to see, evolution is actually a religion, okay, just like creation is, okay? Uh, so it's, it's something you have to believe. Nobody has actually seen this happen. Okay, we're going to get into a lot more of that as time goes on. Um, I've done this, this presentation in, in a lot of other churches, so some of these uh, beginning slides are set up for people that you know, don't know me. Most of you do. And I have been brutally chastised by my wife in some of the other presentations I've done for going too fast. So I'm going to try to slow it down a little bit, and we'll, we'll take some more time. Hopefully, uh, eventually, we'll have some uh, question and answer time for you. But anyway, this is a, a picture of my family, right? You all know us. Uh, this is, and I usually introduce myself and, and tell my name, and then, you know, I'll, what kind of a stupid name is that? Well, it's Polish, as most of you know, right? So this is our family for now, and I do believe my wife is trying to kill me. Um, I've, she's been trying to poison me. I've found... She keeps throwing it away. I keep throwing it away, but I keep finding this poison. It, it, it says right on it, Polish remover. I keep finding this laying around the house. I'm surprised they would be that blatant. But what she doesn't know is the next time she tries, I'm going to defend myself with my Polish pistol right there. It's the Smithowski and Wesinovich. Anyway, okay, so I'm going to read to you from John chapter 11, okay? It says, and when this, he thus spoke, and he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests of the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death." So what does this have to do with creation? Well, the common people, these Jews, they saw Jesus raise a man from the dead. And it says some of them believed on him. Okay, But the Pharisees, they saw the same exact evidence that the common people did. And did they say, oh, oh man, look at this miracle. He raised somebody from the dead. This must be the king of Israel. We need to worship this guy. No. Okay? They, it says they wanted to put him to death. Right? So my, my point in, in showing you this is that there is nothing that I can show you up here. If you have a wicked, unbelieving heart, you don't want the Lord. There's nothing scientific that I can show you that's going to convince you otherwise, right? Jesus said, unless the Holy Spirit draws a man, you can't come to it, okay? So these, these scientists today that they say they've got all this evidence for evolution and so forth, we're going we're to go over the verses tonight that show us that's not really the case, Okay. If you have a wicked, unbelieving heart, there's nothing I can do for you, okay? So, why do I teach on creation? Well, back in 2004, I had only been saved a couple of years. I was in the Army at the time. I was sitting in Iraq, and uh, I had read through my Bible real quickly uh, the, the first year that I was saved. And then after I went over there, I thought, man, I'm going to be here for a year. I better slow down this time. I'm going to read through the Bible again, but I'm going to take my time and try to really get some more out of it than I did the first time. But what I noticed was immediately I couldn't even get off the first page because I was reading my Bible. I said, wait a minute, something doesn't jive here. What I was taught in school was evolution in millions of years. What the Bible's telling me is something completely different. 
Okay, it, it doesn't line up. I never really did accept the evolution part of it so much. I always thought that was kind of baloney. But I certainly bought into the millions of years, okay, that the earth is millions of years old. And, and that. And I, I can remember laying over there awake at night. I mean, it really, really bothered me. I, I eventually kind of prayed. I said, Lord, if you don't show me an answer to this, I'm not necessarily going to quit being a Christian, but I'm going to give up on the Bible. I'm just not going to read it anymore. Yeah, that, that's the point I was at. I remember there was stuff blowing up outside, snipers shooting around the state, and I'm sitting there wondering, can I trust my Bible? You know, so I, I called my wife one time, and uh, I told her what was going on, you know, and she said, well, she said, I don't know, but let me go to church, and I'll talk to the pastor and stuff and see what happens. I said, okay. So a few weeks later, I was able to call her again, and she, you know, she brought up, she said, hey, you remember that stuff you were talking about last time, the creation and millions of years and stuff? She said, I've got all the answers for you. She said, I went to church and I, I talked to the pastor and he gave me some videos from this guy named Kent Hovind and, and it, all, everything you've been talking about is all in there. And I remember saying like, well, yeah, okay, you know, whatever, maybe I'll check it out. I didn't seem real interested. And she said, well, just, just watch it, just watch it. That's the, back in the days they had VHS tapes back then, right? So I went home uh, on leave a little while after that for two weeks and she convinced me to sit down in front of the TV. I think it was the first or second night. And I think for the rest of the two weeks, I was glued to the TV like the whole time. I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, that there's actual physical evidence you can see with your eyes for creation, that evolution was bogus. So since that time, I have never seriously had a, you know, a real serious doubt about the Bible since that time, right? I've had little questions here and there, but my, my goal then is that it, maybe, you're, maybe somebody out here, somebody on live stream, who knows, uh, is in that same boat tonight. That's really my goal is to try to help you to strengthen your faith in the word of God and show you that it can be trusted as written, okay? You don't need to accept any of these worldly ideas of evolution. This guy is a, a professor at Harvard University. He said, as were many persons from Alabama, I was a born-again Christian. When I was 15, I entered the Southern Baptist Church with great fervor and interest in the fundamentalist religion. I left at 17 when I got to the University of Alabama and heard about evolution theory. One year of college destroyed you know, whatever faith this guy had. This is a very short list. I, we could have went on and on with this. These are guys that were raised as Christians, that went to college or school or whatever, learned about evolution, and left the faith. Some of these names you might recognize, Charles Darwin, Michael Shermer, Tom Hanks, okay, John Templeton. He was a big friend of Billy Graham. Now, I, know, I'm, I apologize. I know you can't see this. Um, if, if any of these slides that I show you is something that you're interested in, just... Come to me later on. I can pull it back up, email it to you, whatever. But I know you can't read this, but this is a, a, the results of a survey that was done by Ken Ham and some people at Answers in Genesis. They noticed that, uh, that young people that are raised in church, when they turn 18, they're leaving the church and they're not coming back. So they wanted to know why. Okay, So they, they drew up this survey of questions and they went out and found a bunch of young people that had left the church and they wanted to know, what, what, why are you not coming back to church? Okay. Well, one of the questions on this survey says, has secular science dating the earth at 6 billion years old caused you to doubt the Bible? 46% of them said yes. Well, if, wouldn't that be nice if we could get 46% of our young people back? Well, half of the kids that are leaving, the reason is at least partially because of this millions of years slash evolution teaching. Okay? The, the, by the way, one of the other questions I didn't have on there was that, that they were not getting their questions answered at church. Okay, they, some of them reported that they would, they would go to church, they would ask elders, the pastor, whoever about, you know, what about eight men? What about, you know, evolution? What about millions of years? And they wouldn't really have a good answer for them. So they think that there aren't any, okay? 
And is this, is this issue really that important? I mean, do you need to believe that God created the world in six literal consecutive 24-hour days about 6,000 years ago in order to be saved? Well, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right? It doesn't add any qualifiers to it. He doesn't say if you believe everything exactly right about creation and believe on Jesus, you'll be saved. He says, believe on Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Right? So it's not really a salvation issue. However... How do we know, for example, that Jesus walked on the water? Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that Jesus walked on water? I do. But how do you know that? Did you see it happen? I didn't see it happen. How do we know that it happened? Well, because the Bible says so, right? How do you know that Jonah was swallowed by the whale? Right? I didn't see that happen. We know it happened because the Bible says so. Right? How do we know that David slew Goliath? The Bible says so. How do you know that Jesus is our Savior? Right? Because the Bible says so, right? And if you can't get off the first page of the Bible, if you stay, if, when you open the door to you know, interpreting, well, you know, maybe Genesis, the creation story, is just an allegory. Maybe it's just poetry. Maybe day doesn't mean day. Maybe this and that. Once you open the door to that in Genesis, well, if, if day doesn't mean day and, and creation really doesn't mean what it says, well, well, maybe the resurrection was just an allegory, right? Maybe the, maybe the gospel isn't, isn't true then. Maybe Jesus really didn't die for our sins. So how can we trust anything the Bible says if we can't even trust what it says at the very beginning? Okay? This, I know you can't read this either, but this is a public school textbook that they used in 1908. Okay? They told the kids in 1908, God governs the world in infinite wisdom. The Bible teaches us that it is our duty to worship him. It is a solemn thing to die and appear before God. Well, I wish they learned things like that today, don't you? This is a page out of the New England Primer. Uh, we use this with our kids. It's the, one of the textbooks that all the founding fathers of, the, fathers of this nation were probably taught from, okay? The kids learn the alphabet like this. A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. B, heaven defined the Bible mind. C, Christ crucified, for sinners died. D, the deluge drowned the earth around. Wouldn't it be nice to teach your kids like that? Right? Well, here's a modern textbook. Evolution's a fact, not theory. Birds arose from non-birds and humans from non-humans. No person who pretends any understanding of the world can deny these facts. Here's another one. You're an animal and share a common heritage with earthworms. Really? You young people, listen to me for a minute. If you ever read something like that in a textbook, they're lying to you. All right? You are not an animal. You were made in the image of God. You do not have a common heritage with earthworms or any other animal for that matter. Okay, they're lying to you. How many of you remember the Columbine High School shooting, 1999, right? The first major one of its kind. Uh, I was in high school at the time, probably ready to graduate. But uh, if you remember at the time, the news media, they just, they kind of went berserk beside themselves. How did this happen? They were looking for answers, right? Well, one of the things they, they always bring up, of course, is... The guns, right? It's, it was the gun's fault. The gun forced them to go in there and, and do it. I can't remember how many kids and, and, and teachers that they, they shot and killed in their school. But that was the first thing that they blamed. Never mind the fact that guns were commonplace in schools in America back in the old days. And nobody got shot in school back in those days, did they? Right? The other thing they brought up was all the, uh, the crazy rock music and the, uh, the, the, the violent video games, the horror films, all that sort of thing these boys were into that did the shooting. Okay? And, of course, I'm not in favor of those things, as you know. But there was one thing that they, they seemed to leave out. Okay? Prior to the shooting, these couple of kids made a series of videos where they were talking about what they were going to do. Okay? 
And uh, in the one video, they were talking about one of the kids they were going to kill. He says, he doesn't deserve the jaw evolution gave him. Look for his jaw. It won't be on his body. And they did that. They did shoot that kid, by the way. The kid there on the right, his dad was a, uh, some kind of evolutionary professor, I think, at some community college. The, the one on the left, during the shooting, he wore a shirt that said natural selection. Yeah, these kids were big uh, believers in evolution. They, they did it on Hitler's birthday on purpose, I think. But yeah, if, if only the strong survive, you know, they, they're getting picked on. And these kids are picking on them bigger than they are. Well, hey, why not just take a gun to, sh- to school and get rid of them? Now, ask yourself for a second, what do you think these boys' worldview was? Do you think that they believed that they were created by God who loved them, who died for them, who had a purpose for their life, who wanted to have a personal relationship with them and be saved? Or do you think it's more likely that they had a worldview more along the lines of, oh, I don't know, maybe that they were an animal and shared a common heritage with earthworms, right? So what if you wipe out an earthworm? There's only two ways that really that you can look at the world. One is it's called the creationist worldview. You look at the world and say, man, there's incredible design out there. There must be a really smart designer, okay? That's common sense, right? It's the creationist worldview that God made the world. The other way to look at it is some people can look at this world somehow and say, wow, this is amazing. A big bang made this world from nothing, okay? Now, that ends up being the humanist worldview because if there's no God, well, then we must be God, right? Yeah. Let's go into the Bible a little bit. It says in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, question mark. So God tells her, you know, we all know this story, right? And uh, we know that, that uh, God told her not to eat of the tree. And Satan though comes and he asks her the question. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get her to doubt God's word, right? We use this verse a lot in reference to the, the King James Bible, which I think is a good use of it. But I mean, just more generally, he just, he, even if you're using the King James Bible, Satan wants you to doubt God's word, right? He makes it in the form of a question. Did God really say he made the earth in six days? 6,000. Are you sure of that? And then he said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. So now he just comes right out and calls God a liar. Okay? This is the way Satan does it. And then he said, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now this verse right here is really where the whole idea of humanism and evolution and all this stuff gets started. Satan wants them to th- you think, hey, listen, if you just disobey God, Adam, Eve, if you just listen to me, don't listen to God, do it your own way, you can decide what's right and wrong. You can be just like God. You can decide what's good and false, or what's true and false for yourself, right? You don't need God to do that for you. You can do it, okay? Now, this guy is an evolutionist, uh, Sir Arthur Keith, one of the most famous evolutionists of the past. He said the law of Christ and the law of evolution, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, the law of Christ is incompatible with the law of evolution. Nay, the two laws are at war with each other. I wish more Christians would understand that. You know, there's some, some Christians out there want to think that, like, you can have the Bible and you can have evolution too. It's called theistic evolution, right? You'll hear some people say, like, well, maybe God used evolution to get us here, okay? Now, it's interesting. Uh, if you look into, and I really don't recommend you do, but like the, the satanic cults and things like that, a lot of times they, they will do things backwards as a way to mock the Lord. Maybe they'll recite the Lord's Prayer backwards or something like that in their silly little seances or whatever. Okay, if you look at the evolution theory, 
everything in evolution is 100% backwards to what the Bible teaches. Okay, we're not going to read the whole list, but for example, the Bible teaches that the earth was made before the sun. Evolution says, no, no, the sun was here before the earth. Okay, the Bible teaches that oceans were here before the land. Evolution said, no, 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 the land here was, was here before the oceans. Okay, you got trees before fish. No, fish were before trees. Fish before insects. No, insects before fish. Okay, on and on it goes. To get to the, the uh, fact that the Bible teaches that man brought death into the world, okay? But evolution actually teaches that death brought man into the world, right? In order for evolution to work, one critter or one person or whatever has to evolve a little bit better than the rest of The rest of them have to die off, right? In order for this new and improved species to continue on and take over the population, right? So death actually becomes the hero for evolution, Okay? And the Bible teaches that God created man, but of course evolution says, no, no, man created God. So this is, these are called the four great questions of life. Okay? Now, every religion on planet Earth puts a set of answers to these questions. And evolution being a religion, as we're going to see that later, it also puts a set of answers to these questions. Okay? Now let's think about it for just a second. If evolution is true, how would you answer these questions right here? Okay? Number one, who am I? Well, if evolution is true, you're nothing, right? You're just a, you're just a sack of chemicals, okay? And you, that's all. Number two, why am I here? If evolution's true, there is, it's an invalid question. There, there is no why. You're just here. So if it feels good, you might as well do it, right? Sure. Number three, where did I come from? If evolution is true, you came from a big bang, which came from a dot, which came from nothing, right? Literally. I'm going to show you the, the textbooks that, that that's actually what they say. Okay, and number four, where am I going when I die? If evolution is true, you're going into the ground and you're going to become fertilizer. But the Bible teaches in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, if that is true, that's going to put a very, very different set of answers to that question, this set of questions, isn't it? Yeah, that means we better find out who this God is then. Find out what he wants, do what he says, right? Okay, so I'm going to go down to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is probably... Probably the most important passage in the Bible for this whole creation evolution debate. Okay, I think this is absolutely prophetic of what we're seeing today. Peter tells us, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Okay, there are people out there today, scientists, whatever, and they absolutely scoff at the Bible. They just, uh, you know, the word, even the word scoff just has that, that attitude, right? Now, why do they scoff at the Bible? Is it because of their science? No, the Bible says it's because of their lust, okay? It's very important. We're going to study some of the men that have pushed this idea throughout history. Uh, you're going to find that, that they absolutely were walking after their own lust. The, the people that pushed evolution were whoremongers. They were adulterers. They were just, just vile people in general, okay? That's what the Bible predicted long ago. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So these scoffers in the last days that are walking after their lusts are going to come along and they're going to say, oh, everything that's happening to you see going on today, it's continuing just as it always has been. Long, slow, gradual evolutionary processes, right? Jesus isn't coming back. Everything, this is the idea called uniformitarianism. We'll talk about that in a little bit, okay? And then he says... For this, they willingly are ignorant of. They're willingly ignorant. What's that mean? That means they don't want to know. The evidence is there for them to see. 
but they choose not to see it. They are willingly ignorant, just like the Pharisees in John chapter 11 that we started with. They saw the evidence right before their eyes, but they were willingly ignorant of it. Okay? The scientists that are out there today that want you to believe that you came from a piece of slime somewhere in the bottom of the ocean, they can see the same evidence that all the creation scientists can see, right? But they're willingly ignorant of it. Okay? And then Peter tells us what they're willingly ignorant of. He's going to tell us three things. Number one, that the, by the word of God, the heavens were of old. So the first thing the scoffers are going to be ignorant of is creation. Okay? And we absolutely see that today. Right? The second thing, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The second thing they're ignorant of is the flood. Do you know there's evidence for the flood that you can see with your eyes in this county? You can go outside. I see it on the way to church all the time. We'll cover some of that in a later uh, section here. Right? So they're going to be ignorant of the creation. They're going to be ignorant of the flood. And I actually didn't put a slide up for the, the third thing. But the third thing that they're ignorant of willingly is the coming judgment, Peter tells us. Because if God can judge the world with a flood before, he can do it again by fire later. And they certainly don't like that idea. Okay? Now... This is a kind of an illustration of the way many people think that this debate is framed. You have this guy on the left, okay? He's a creation scientist. He's looking into the world, and he's trying to pull out a bunch of facts that support the creation view, okay? And he's putting them in his little wheelbarrow there, right? And then on the right, you've got the evolution guy, and he's looking in the world. He's pulled out facts that support his theory, and he's putting them in his wheelbarrow. And it's kind of a contest to see who can get the most facts, Okay? But this is actually a completely wrong picture of what's actually going on. We've already kind of alluded to it, but the real battle is over the same exact evidence. Okay? We see the same, the, the creation scientist see the, sees the same evidence that the evolution scientist does. They have a different interpretation of it, though. Okay? I'll show you an example. How many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Man, I wish I could put my hand up. I've never been there, but I would, I would absolutely love to go. But it's, it's there. It's a big hole in the ground. That's a fact, right? Some of you all have seen it. The, the canyon exists. That is our evidence, right? So that's a fact. Now, the creationists have an interpretation of that canyon. The evolutionists have an interpretation of that canyon. The evolutionist will stand there and look at that canyon and say it formed slowly by a little bit of water and a lot of time, right? They'll say that the, the Colorado River carved it out of the canyon over millions and millions of years. That's what the textbooks teach, Okay. The creationist will stand there and look at the same exact canyon and they'll say, no, no, it formed quickly by a lot of water in a little bit of time, like the flood in the days of Noah or the days shortly thereafter, right? But the problem is the evolutionists are always trying to erase the line between the fact and their interpretation of the fact, okay? They want you to think that their interpretation is part of the fact. I'll show you an example. This textbook says, the Colorado River has cut through layer upon layer of rock over millions of years. They just state it like it's a fact. You see, has anybody been around for millions of years to watch the Colorado River carve, it out, of the, carve out the canyon? No. Have, has the science of geology been around for millions of years so that we can overlap notebooks, you know, and compare to what people saw in the past? No. Right? That's what they believe, but that's their interpretation. But they just state it like that's part of the fact. Okay, here's another one. Earth has changed much since its formation four and a half billion years ago. They just state it like it's a fact. This textbook is for first graders. First graders believe everything you tell them, don't they? Of course they do, right? Jesus says, if you want to come to heaven, you've got to be like a little child. You just have to believe what God said, right? That's what kids do. The Bible says that in six days, 
The Lord made the, the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. That's what the Bible teaches. And you can actually show from the Bible that it was roughly 6,000 years ago. We'll do that in a later, a later section also, okay? But when you take man's word that say, you know, the billions of years of evolution and whatnot, and you try to combine it with God's word, you want to try to have both. Guess which one always gets modified, right? You never see somebody taking the textbooks or the, the, the PBS programs or whatever and saying, oh, well, you know, maybe millions of years doesn't mean millions of years. Maybe it means six days, you know, that, that, but that's exactly what they do with the Bible every single time, right? So there are two types of science out there. This is something you won't see in most secular uh, schools, but operational science, this is, this is uh, sometimes it's also called empirical science, okay? This is where you take things, you observe, you test, you demonstrate, you put chemicals in a text tube, do an experiment. Some other scientist somewhere else does the same experiment, gets the same results. That's operational science. That's why we have computers, TVs, cell phones, and everything else, right? Because of people doing experimentation and using their five senses in the present to examine what we have and to measure things and to, to test and develop new materials and everything else, right? There's another type of science, though, called historical science. It's also sometimes called forensic science. This is where you're looking at evidence in the present and trying to determine what happened in the past. Okay? It's kind of, it would be like if you, uh, you know, walked up on a murder scene. Okay? It's a big whodunit. You know? Maybe you have broken glass here, footprints, shell casing, whatever. Okay? And you try to figure out who did it, what happened in the past. Now, is historical science always 100% accurate? No. Do they always get the, real, the right killer? No. Do they ever convict the wrong person? Yeah, sometimes they do. Historical science is much more uh, susceptible to uh, biases and, and prejudice and things like that, where operational science is not, you see. But, they, but these, the evolution, it, evolution is purely historical science, if you want to call it that, right? But they want to try to make you believe that, uh, that, uh, that historical science somehow equals Operational science. You were laughing at OJ, weren't you? I saw you do that. Okay, you saw that. <laughs> anyway, the evidence in the present does not speak for itself. Okay, it must be interpreted. Okay, that's a very important point. Now, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1.9, the thing that hath been, it is that which, uh, that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. I'm going to start getting into now a little bit of the, uh, the historical part. That was kind of an introduction. Okay. And uh, now we'll, we'll start talking about a little bit of the history of this. Whole, where did this idea of evolution millions of years come from? Okay. It's at least in the West and in America, it didn't happen overnight. Okay. And the Bible tells us there's really no new thing under the sun. The, uh, the ancient Greeks actually taught a form of evolution. Some of the ancient Egyptians taught that uh, man evolved out of the slime along the Nile River. Okay, so there, these, these ideas have existed in the ancient past. Okay, uh, but in the West, uh, you know, we don't have time for a complete history lesson, but you know, the, the West has been uh, more or less founded upon Christian principles and so forth. This textbook tells us that before radiometric dating was available, we'll get into a lot more of that later, Many people had estimated the age of the earth to be only a few thousand years old. Okay, that was just common knowledge prior to the 1800s. Okay, and even, even up through, even into the early part of the uh, 1900s, most people believed that the earth was roughly 6,000 years old. Okay, this is a McGuffey reader. We use this with our kids. Uh, this was a, probably the country's most popular textbook. There was a whole series of them uh, back in the 1800s. I pulled this one out of our library. It says here, these things were not always so. 6,000 years ago, there was no pleasant earth. 
Okay, back in those days, it was just common knowledge that the earth is 6,000 years old. Okay, so this, this time in history then, we're talking about the late 1700s and the early 1800s, it was known as the age of anti-monarchy. Okay, you had the American Revolution, the French Revolution, the Spanish, the Polish. You see that right there, the Polish Revolution? Okay, this, by the way, this is that, that Polish revolutionary. Have you ever seen this guy? He, he got caught, he, uh, he converted to Islam. And they, they told him his first assignment as a new Muslim was to blow up a bus. So he went to blow up the bus. He put his mouth on the exhaust pipe and burned his lips. He second-degree burns and everything. But some of you Polish will get that later. Anyway, you had all these revolutions going on, okay? And the Bible teaches us that you know, we're supposed to honor the king. Now, everybody at that time was wanting to set up a democracy and so forth, and we're not going to get into a big political debate on whether that's good or bad. But some people, the point is some of them viewed the Bible as an obstacle to their political objectives, combined with their lust that we already saw, okay? And some people then wanted to discredit the Bible. So this, in the late 1700s, there was a Scottish uh, guy named James Hutton. He came up with this idea called uniformitarianism. He at least uh, popularized it, okay? Now here is a picture of him there. He wrote a book called The Theory of the Earth, where he, uh, he, he was guessing that the earth is much older than, than was previously thought. He was uh, uh, kind of a fan of a guy that came before him. I don't have a slide on his name, George Buffett. He, George Buffett, I think, taught that the earth was like maybe 70 or 80,000 years old. Then James Hutton came along. He increased it to uh, in the millions, okay, with his book. And he, that, that got people, started getting them to doubt if what the Bible said was really true. Well, you know, did God really say six days? You know, maybe it really was millions of years. I don't know. Okay. Now, the same year that uh, James Hutton died, this guy named Charles Lyell was born. He was a Scottish lawyer, okay? And he wrote a book in 1830 called Principles of Geology. And you can kind of, if you read the book as well as some of his other writings, you can kind of see his hatred for the Bible on every page. Okay, he wrote about, uh, he said his goal was to free the science from Moses, okay? He said uh, false, he was, he was mocking the Bible, ancient doctrines, script, scriptural authority. Pff, you can hear the scoff, right, where he's just mocking the Bible. He reasoned philosophically against those who regarded the disordered state of earth's crust as exhibiting signs of the wrath of God for the sins of man. He argue, notice it says he argued, he argued scientifically. No, he argued philosophically against the earth, just to translate that a little bit, he was, he was trying to make people change their thinking from viewing the earth's land features as signs of a global flood, the wrath of God against man's sin, right? And he wanted to, people to start viewing them as, no, 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 just along uh, uh, James Hutton's ideas of long, slow, gradual processes, uniformitarianism, okay? And that's what I'm going to talk about right now. At that time, there was two competing views Schools of thought, I guess you could say, of geology. Okay, the first was the one that James Hutton really popularized called uniformitarianism. This is the idea that, you know, uh, when you look at the present today, the, the key to the present, or I'm sorry, the key to the past is the present. Okay, what the, the way, just like the Bible said, the way things happen now, it's the way they've always happened, right? Long, slow, uniform processes. Okay. So all the land features that you see on the earth, all the cliffs and all the mountains and everything are mostly the result of slow processes like erosion. You know, maybe a hurricane here and an earthquake there, but for the most part is because of slow, uniform processes. Okay. The other competing view was called catastrophism. This was kind of the opposite. It said that, well, no, 
Uh, the Earth's major features are not caused by uh, you know, slow processes like that, but the major features of the Earth are caused by major events, like global floods, for example, okay? And then a little bit of erosion after that, okay? So uniformitarian thought, unfortunately, it prevailed in the early 19th century, which just so happened to be the same time period when it became possible to get a degree from the university in geology. So, I mean, prior to the 1800s, who is going to pay you to go digging the dirt and looking for fossils and bones, right? But at this time, that, that kind of thing was starting to come into uh, to be. So uh, at, after that time, new geologists that were trained in the university were taught to think only as uniformitarians, which, of course, continues today. And I actually have some quotes uh, we'll see at a later time. There actually have been one or two modern catastrophes. They call them neo-catastrophists, okay? And that doesn't mean necessarily Christian. Okay, some of them are, are, are actually anti-Christian, but some, there are a few scientists still today who hold to a more uh, a catastrophist view. That, kinda, that brings us to Charles Darwin. Okay? Everybody knows about Charles Darwin, right? So Charles Darwin, he, he went on his famous voyage where he was going to go down to Galapagos Islands and look at the finches and all that. Okay, we'll see that stuff later on. He took some books with him on the voyage. At that time, it took a long time to sail across the ocean. Uh, one of his books that he took was his Bible. Okay. The other one was Charles Lyell's book right there, Principles of Geology. Okay. And on that voyage, he read Lyell's book, and he said that it changed his life forever. Okay. His faith was dest- whatever faith that he had, don't know really what it was, but it was destroyed by Charles Lyell's ideas, which his, his ideas you know, went back to James Hutton and so forth. He wrote a letter to a friend, uh, Russell Wallace. He said, talking about the time he was reading this book on that boat, he said, thus disbelief crept over me at a very slow rate, but was at last complete. The rate was so slow that I felt no distress. So he's sitting there reading page after page of Lyle's book on the ship, and it's, it's slowly eroding his faith. And it's happening so slowly that he doesn't hardly even notice it. Okay. Now, this, who was this guy, Wallace, that he wrote the letter to? Well, this guy here, Alfred Russell Wallace, he was actually, a, you could say he was like a co-discoverer, quote-unquote, of the theory of evolution, along with Charles Darwin. But you've probably never heard of Wallace. Everybody's heard of Darwin, right? Because Darwin was a, like, basically an atheist. He was an atheist. Uh, the reason you've never heard of Wallace is because he was also an occultist, right? He believed in spirits and things like that, okay, even though he pushed the theory of evolution. And the scientists back of his day that were devoted to materialism, you know, the idea that, you know, the, oh, the only things that are uh, reality is things you can touch and see and so forth, okay? They did not want their beloved theory of evolution associated with anybody who might make it appear unscientific by believing in spirits and devils and witches and things like that, okay? That's why you've never heard of him. But he was probably just as much responsible for the theory of evolution as Charles Darwin was, okay? I, th- I thought also here we, we should, as, a, as kind of a side note, talk about Karl Marx, Karl Marx was a lazy bum. He never worked a day in his life. Okay, it's probably why he came up with communism to begin with. But he based his entire philosophy of communism on evolution. He said, Darwin's book is very important. It serves me as a basis of natural science for the class struggle in history. Okay, he, he, his, all his, his, his uh, uh, political ideas, they had a basis of the theory of evolution. He actually, had, this is a picture of a signed copy, autographed copy of his book, Das Kapital. He sent to Charles Darwin says there, uh, it reads, Mr. Charles Darwin on the part of a sincere admirer, Karl Marx. And there's a response that, I'm not going to read the whole thing, from Darwin, wrote a letter you know, thanking uh, Karl Marx for his, his signed book. 
And he, he says, though our studies have been so different, I believe that we both earnestly desire the extension of knowledge uh, and that this is in the long run sure to add to the happiness of mankind. Has evolution and communism added to the happiness of mankind? Com- atheistic communism is responsible for the deaths of over 100 million people in the 20th century alone. Okay? And it's all based on evolution. All of it. So, what was the, man, yeah, we could go, okay, we a little bit longer. What was the Christian response then to this old earth evolutionary teaching at the time? You, I wondered that a while back. What were the Christians saying to all this stuff that was coming into to popularity, okay? Man, I can't hardly see that font. But anyway, the first group of them, I, I call the scriptural geologists, uh, there was a group of guys, George Young and, and so on. They did the best with what they had. You know, they, uh, they, they, they defended the Bible as written. They didn't have a lot of the scientific uh, knowledge and stuff that we had today, but they, they tried to do their best and defend the Bible as written without uh, inventing any more ideas, okay? Yet another group I call the compromisers. They came up with a group, of, uh, a whole slew of theories. I just listed a few of them there. And these guys weren't necessarily bad guys. They were trying to, I think what they were trying to do was they wanted to have the Bible, but they wanted to accept the world's ideas of millions of years as well. Okay, you had the day-age theory, this guy, George Faber. This was actually one of the ones when I was sitting in Iraq, I thought of this myself while I was trying to work this out in my mind. I didn't realize it had been thought of centuries before. Okay, this is the idea like, well, maybe the, the days of creation are actually long ages. They don't, maybe day doesn't really mean day. Maybe day represents millions of years. Okay, and then you know, it, when you, all of these, these types of theories have the same problem. Uh, whenever you start realizing, okay, like for example, the plants were made on day three, the sun was made on day four. How are you going to have plants for millions of years with no sun or no insects to pollinate them and so forth? Okay, then none of them work. Uh, local creation, this was the idea that, uh, that uh, maybe, maybe the book of Genesis chapter one is just describing what happened in the Garden of Eden and not the entire, and never mind the fact that it says that the stars and the sun and the moon were created as well, okay? I mean, you had, yeah, I know this one's going to get me in trouble with certain people, the gap theory. Okay, I'm not going to dwell on this. Uh, this is the idea that uh, there's a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. So God created the heaven and the earth, a gap of maybe thousands or millions of years, and then the earth is without form and void and so on and so forth. Okay, well, there, there's two common problems that all of these theories have. Number one is really what they are. It's just an attempt to stuff millions of years into the Bible, because if you're going to have millions of years, you can't do it once the genealogies start. Once it says Adam was the father of so-and-so and he begat so-and-so and he begat so-and-so. He had all this begetting going on, right? You can't, you can't add your millions of years after that. So you have to have it before Adam. Okay, but the more serious problem is that they put death before sin. So the Bible's pretty clear. It says by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, right? How can you have millions of years worth of death, disease, suffering, war, and so forth before man's sin? Right, And it says that God looked on everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything he made was very good. Would you say that that's very good? Well, maybe the lion would. I don't, I don't think the gazelle would agree, right? But see, God didn't originally create carnage and death and suffering, right? His original creation was perfect, and man wrecked it, okay? It's, imagine if you went to the, uh, to the junkyard. I'm sorry, that's politically incorrect. The, the auto recycler today, right? And you see all the Chevrolets lined up there, you know, in the junkyard. <laughs> anyway, you pick out a wrecked car there, and you say, boy, look at this, General Motors, Chevrolet, they don't know how to make a car. You know, look at this, it's destroyed. Well, it, it's not the, the, the car company's fault that it's destroyed, it's, it's the man who wrecked it, right? 
And we look at the death, the disease, and all this stuff that's in our world today. It's not God's fault. Okay, he didn't destroy it. We are responsible for wrecking his creation. Okay, that's, uh, it's almost time. I'll, I'll just get a little bit farther. This guy is an atheist, okay? He, he said this, I wish more Christians would understand this. He said, but if death preceded man and was not a result of Adam's sin, then sin is fiction, right? If sin is fiction, then we have no need for a savior, right? Evolution in millions of years uh, destroys utterly and finally the very reason for Jesus' earthly life. If Jesus was not the redeemer who died for our sins, and this is what evolution means, then Christianity is nothing, I, and he, he actually, he's right. He's correct about that. Okay, if millions of years and evolution is true, Christianity is nothing. But as we're going to see, thankfully, evolution is not true. So we don't have to worry about it anyway. Okay, that's probably what we'll have to, to stop for tonight. Um, hopefully we'll continue uh, next week. And there, there's, there, this is such a large topic. There's so much information that could be covered. Um, you know, we're, we're probably going to go for... I don't know, next week, and then after that, maybe, you know, every, we talked about maybe the last Sunday of every month or whatever, but uh, hopefully, maybe at the end of each section, maybe we'll have time for question and answer, uh, question and answer time. So if you have any questions, you know, think of it for next week. Uh, feel free to ask me anything you want to. I don't have all the answers, but I'll, I should be able to look it up for you if I don't know. I have heard a lot of the questions that have come up over the years uh, according to this subject. So, but uh, thanks for, for listening tonight anyway. Appreciate it. So, yeah.